If you're a fan of the 1980s action films, then two names that come to your mind probably are Sylvester Stallone and Arnold Schwarzenegger. But one brush against this guy's beard or one roundhouse to the face would make those two guys go missing in action. Yes, that's right. In today's show, we're talking about the lone wolf himself, Chuck Norris, and his movie career in the 1980s. And we'll also touch a little bit on his life before. So if you're a fan of Chuck Norris, tune into the show to listen to us today. Hello again, everybody. Chris Adams back at you again with Retro Life for You podcast. Today, we are going to talk about uh, somebody that we have yet to touch on, surprisingly. We've done some other people like him in the past. We've done Stallone. We've done Schwarzenegger. But now it's time to do the man. And when I say the man, I mean we're talking about the man that when the boogeyman goes to bed, he looks under the bed for this guy. Okay? We're talking Chuck Norris. So, a decade of Chuck Norris, the 1980s. Now, this week, once again, Patrick, Patrick, I'm sorry. I'm thinking of my interview I just had last week. He's still on the brain, guys. Travis, he'll love hearing that if he listens to it because he's always getting names wrong. Um, is still not with us right now. Uh, you know, work is still taking a big toll. He works a lot now. So, uh, one of these days, he may swing back in and make an appearance with us. And when he does, he does. But in the meantime, today we have a special guest co-host of Tim from the 80s Flick Flashback. Tim, welcome in with us this week. Thank you so much for having me, Chris. Glad to be here. Hey, do us a favor. Tell us about your podcast. I mean, tell us what you do and where we can find you at. Cool. Uh, 80s Flick Flashback podcast. On each episode, I am joined by another 80s Flick-loving guest co-host to talk about one of the great and sometimes not-so-great movies. There's not that many of those. From the 1980s, from blockbusters to cult classics to lesser-known treasures we discovered on cable TV or the now-defunct video rental stores from our childhood, no matter which 80s flick we choose for each episode, we have a lot of fun sharing first-time watch memories, discussing our favorite iconic scenes, and even learning some behind-the-scenes stories about the cast and crew along the way. Did it sound like I was reading? Because I was. <laughs> but yeah, I could not tell at all. Oh, man, I shouldn't have said anything. But no. Uh, but yeah, you could find us on Apple, Spotify, uh, Stitcher, pretty much any of your uh, any of the podcast platforms that you listen to your podcasts on. Uh, but you can check us out. We're in our fifth season now. Uh, episode sixty three, I think, will be coming out uh, shortly after this is released. And so. Uh, have a lot of fun talking about some great 80s movies, so check us out. Yes, and it is fun to listen to. I've checked out one of his interviews he's had already, and that was a great episode, I will say. Definitely. And totally recommend him. <laughs> now, uh, so on to things here with Chuck Norris. Uh, Tim, I don't know if you know a great deal about Chuck Norris before he became the superstar that he's become today. He got a late start, <laughs> we should say, when it comes to acting. And his late start, I want to say he was 36 years old before he had his first movie, Sounds if I'm not right. mistaken. Um, he was enlisted in the Air Force out of high school. Mm-hmm. Uh, wasn't sure what direction he wanted to go, so he's in Korea. And while in Korea, decides he's going to take a stab at studying some of the martial arts over there. Uh, 
while he's in the Air Force, he's serving as an MP. That's what he was doing. But um, he has taken time over the years to learn quite a few martial arts. And I was just writing this down earlier. And I was like, man, how much time and dedication does it take? I mean, 10th degree black belt in Tang Sudo, Mm -hmm. 8th degree black belt in Taekwondo, a 3rd degree black belt in Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu under the Machado brothers, a 10th degree black belt in Chun Kudo, which is what he made up himself. It's his own style. And a 5th degree black belt just in karate. His own style is a mix of the Tang Sudo, Taekwondo, Jiu-Jitsu, Karate, Hapkido. I uh, I think it was, I don't know if Aikido was in there or not. There was like six or seven different things. Uh, right. Shotokan Karate was one. Uh, I mean, it's just he's he's all over the all over the place with this and made his own style with it. I mean, that's you know something big to say on its own right there. Oh yeah. Now the man uh, was focused. He was. Did you ever see any of his professional fights? Uh, maybe not in person, obviously, but I mean, did you uh, no, ever see any any repeats or on television matches he did or anything? Not that I can remember. My dad was a big boxing fan. Uh, we both watched wrestling a little bit um, as well when I was a kid. So it's possible. And my dad loved um you know, action movies. I don't know if he was as much in like karate and stuff, but it's possible he might have, we might have watched something back then. I guess we didn't have YouTube back then. We could just pull it up and watch it. It would have to been on TV or some special that was on uh, that we would have watched it. But it's possible I saw it, but I don't have any memory of it. Right, right. Well, he also taught a few people as well. I mean, oh, yeah. he, he had his own schools and places. He's taught Steve McQueen and his son, Chad McQueen. Mm-hmm. Uh, he's actually taught Michael Landon and Dan Blocker from Bonanza a little bit, and Blocker's kids. Um, he's had Priscilla Presley in a class, uh, learning some stuff. That's interesting because we knew that Elvis was a big karate person, so I wonder if Priscilla took took the, some classes to one up Elvis. You never know. <laughs> uh, you never know. And we know Chad McQueen was in uh, Karate Kid, so. He obviously was probably using some of those moves. He was, and and he was in some uh, other movies as well. Uh, he was in a movie with Cynthia Rothrock, who was a big martial artist. Mm-hmm. I want to say it was called Martial Law, I believe. That's it may be. I think it was Martial Law. That's one it? of hers. I know. Yeah, I've seen a few yeah. of hers. Yeah, well, she she's had some great ones. Uh, oh, yeah. Martial Law. Uh, my favorites of hers are China O'Brien, but um, she's had quite a few in the past. Uh. Not only did he, you know, teach some of these people who were celebrities and everything, but he also trained with Bruce Lee for a while. Now, we all know he was in a movie with Bruce Lee. Right. Um, some people, in, in some areas, it's called Way of the Dragon. In some places, it's called Return of the Dragon. Right. I guess it depends on where you come from, what part of life you've been in. But either way it goes, he was the big bad fighting Bruce Lee in it. And there was a little quote I was reading earlier from... Uh, Chuck Norris, where he said he got a phone call from Bruce saying he wanted him to be the villain in his movie. He'd fight him. He goes, well, sure. He goes, who, who, who wins? He goes, well, I do. I'm the star of the movie. So he said, I kind of chuckled at him and said, so you want to beat the champ, huh? Because at the time, he was the champion. He was uh, right. he was still fighting. And uh, he goes, no, I want to kill the champion. <laughs> so he says, okay. So he goes on to do the Way of the Dragon slash Return of the Dragon. And you know we, we know what happened from there. 
great movie. If you were a Bruce Lee fan, it was a great movie for oh, sure. Yeah, for sure. Um, he was also offered a role in Game of Death and turned it down. Uh, I guess he figured being in one movie already, he would it probably wouldn't look right if he was in a second one. <laughs> I guess so. Right. But you know, it's understandable. We get it. He's got a few trademarks. Can you think of a couple of them? Uh, the beard is definitely That's a one. trademark. That's definitely a trademark. That's one. I've seen the ad for his uh, martial arts jean shorts. Is that one of his? <laughs> <laughs> no, that's something he'd like to forget. That is something he would love to forget. Um, right. Being a lone wolf was yep. one. Uh, of course, mm-hmm. you said his beard. Mm-hmm. Uh, action movies. For sure. Roundhouse kicks. Oh, that is true. Because Every movie. Yeah. He's roundhouse kicks. And um, I want to say even in uh, Walker, Texas Ranger, every roundhouse kick needed about four different camera angles for each one. So just, can't forget those. And Walker, Texas Ranger is the last trademark that was listed on there. There we go. That he's well known for these days. So uh, now a little tidbit for you before we get into the movies. Did you know, did you ever hear the rumor that he was offered the role of John Kreese on the Karate Kid? We covered Karate Kid, and I'm trying to remember if that was something I knew or not. It it wouldn't surprise me, but I can't say that I would, I would I'd be able to pull that out of my bag of trivia. Well, he was on the Adam Carolla show and was talking, and he said, look, I just want to go ahead and squash this rumor right now. He goes, I was never offered the role of John Kreese in the Karate Kid. Okay. Uh, the rumor was he was offered the role, and he turned it down because it would ruin or make, you know, or kind of tarnish his good guy persona that he had on in the show, in all the oh, movies. Okay. He was gotcha. So he did not, villain. well, you know, I mean, he was, yeah, exactly. And with Bruce Lee, he's the bad guy getting killed. Right. 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 So, I mean, he just didn't, but he had built up something for himself he already. Had, yeah, for sure. From that point forward, he's been the good guy for so long that he just did not want to take a chance supposedly on tarnishing that. But he said it was never offered the role. So he couldn't have turned it down. But, I mean, it's, it, it makes sense. There's always a lot of chatter going on. You know, this person almost got this. This person almost oh, got yeah. that. Oh, yeah. But, you know, unless you hear it from the person's mouth straight away. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I don't know. Yeah, I agree. We we do that a lot on my podcast. We're talking about casting. And a lot of times, you know, you read stuff, especially on IMDb or Wikipedia. And it's like, you got to kind of take some of that stuff with a little bit of uh, a grain of salt to say, I'm sure, you know, like we had a we had a conversation where somebody said whether that was offered to them or they were in discussion because some of these some of the people they list would would probably not have even either had not really been offered to them or there was no way they could have done it at that time because they were busy working on something else. So, you know, some of that stuff you got to have to, you know, do a little bit more research on. Right. Right. Now, did you know, oh, I mentioned earlier, he's an eighth degree black belt in Taekwondo. Mm-hmm. He is only one of three Americans to hold this rank. Huh. I know this is traditional Taekwondo we're right. talking about. So, right. I mean, he's one of only three people to hold the rank, eighth degree black belt in Taekwondo. Uh, very short list. I don't know who the other two are. <laughs> I didn't I didn't bother looking them up. Okay, it's all about, it's all about names that I wouldn't no. know. No, no, no. It's, it's all about Chuck today. You know, it's all about right. Chuck. I don't, right. I don't want to take any shine off of him. By saying two other people are just as good as he is. Because, you know, while they may be, it's not their turn yet. 
exactly. <laughs> but uh, it's probably somebody cool with my luck, and I didn't bring them up. <laughs> and they're listening to this show right now, and they're going, well, I'm never going on his show. Right, right. Oh, that's, that's my right. luck right there. It's okay. He didn't make an 80s movies, or that, whoever that person was in making an 80s <laughs> that we know about. It wasn't Michael Dudikoff, was it? No, it was not Michael Dudikoff. <laughs> Michael Dudikoff does a little bit of a jiu-jitsu, a little right. bit of Brazilian jiu-jitsu, and I don't know that he is very highly ranked in it, mm-hmm. but that's the gist of what he has done. Gotcha. Uh, to give you a quick giggle here on, on Dudikoff, we were talking about um, an episode that we have called uh, Martial Arts in the Movies back in our, our time frame here in the 80s. Mm-hmm. And so my co-host Travis was trying to think of Michael Dudikoff's name. He said, well, you got the other guy that, you know, the guy that did uh, that, you know, Dukakis. <laughs> and I said, who? He said, Dukakis. Michael Dukakis. That's his name, man. And I said, the politician? <laughs> and he said, oh, Dudikoff. Dudikoff. That's it. And I said, great. I said, now he's never going to come on the show. Right. He right. said, yeah, yeah, he'll come on the show. I mean, he's got great hair. He'll be on the show. <laughs> I was like, oh, man, the things I got to put up with these days. Uh-huh. Uh, Chuck Norris, you know, uh, we can't mess up his name, though, because yeah. just the haunt, the, the haunting of the era will come back and get us in our sleep, probably. Right, right. Um, now, he did. Well, he did not do. I'm sorry. He has seen it. And gets a chuckle out of it. Uh, the website that has all the Chuck Norris facts on it. Oh yeah, oh yeah. There's a ton of these things out there, you know. And I mentioned the one earlier about the boogeyman checks under his bed for Chuck Norris where he goes to sleep. We all know he used one in the Expendables too mm-hmm. about the rattlesnake biting him. And after five excruciating days of pain, the rattlesnake died. Um, these things are just crazy. They're all out there. I'm not going to really go over any of those because we've all heard them all. And they're not as funny when you heard them for the umpteenth time. <laughs> right. So we won't go there. Did you know he was the first choice as Red Foreman for that 70s show? Did not know that. I did not either. I learned that today. I was today days old when I learned he was almost <laughs> Red Foreman. I don't think he would have fit that well, though. I mean. No, that's not. I don't. Yeah, that's not the persona that Chuck Norris really has, especially. especially yeah. Those. No, the other guy nailed it, and that's that's definitely him all day long. Mm-hmm. But they said he was still doing Walker, Texas Ranger, so he could not commit to doing something like that. So he didn't even attempt it. Uh, he's appeared on two different shows as Walker, Texas. Well, I'm sorry, Cordell Walker, the character from Walker, Texas Ranger. Um, he was in the TV show Martial Law with Sammo Hung, who right, also been right. on his show as well. And then the show Sons of Thunder, because those two guys were on his show quite often crossing over. And so he came on their show a couple of times. That is pretty much, let's see if that's all I got for special facts about him. May have a few more here. He's a special, well, yeah, the official spokesperson of Total Gym. We should all know that probably by yeah. now. Yeah. You only, only see the infomercial 5,000 times. <laughs> and let's see. He had, oh, okay. He has written two books. Did you know yes. he is a, t- a two-time best-selling author? I knew he, like, I, I remember seeing that. I know he wrote a couple of books about about martial arts. But then I think he's also done one just about his uh, philosophy on success and things of that nature. Yep, yep. The, the Secret of Inner Strength, My Story, and 
Black Belt Patriotism, How to Remake America, I believe, or Reawaken America. Okay. Not not remake, reawaken. <laughs> um so I mean I'm sure they're probably good books. He's a two time I mean they, they both sold, you know, very well. So oh, I'm yeah. sure he's he's got something behind that there. And uh, one last thing I can think of before we start touching on his movies is that did you know they made a cartoon? You probably remember the yeah. cartoon. Oh, yeah, yeah. Uh, Chuck Norris Karate Commandos. It's mm-hmm. spun off a toy line as well. Yeah, I think I remember the toy line more than I remember the commercial. I mean, the uh, cartoon. And I know that I am 49 years old, but do not think for a second that I wouldn't buy those toys if I seen <laughs> them today. Exactly. Uh, I got some uh, Instagram buddies that i uh talk with and uh just drool over the collection they have oh, because yeah. they've got all the gi joes i had all the transformers i had they got everything i wanted and then some and i'm just thinking if only i had a house 10 times bigger to put this stuff in <laughs> right yeah that, that's my that's my dilemma is i don't have any space to put cool stuff like that um, i know it's 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 a curse i think it, it's both a blessing and a curse it's a curse because we can't get what we want, but it's a blessing because we're not spending the money, I guess. Right, exactly. So jumping straight on in here, we got Chuck Norris of the 80s. We said we're doing his movies of the 80s. Now we yep, got yep. one, we got 13 movies in a one cartoon. We just mentioned the cartoon. Uh, the cartoon came around, I want to say 1986. 1986 is when it was that they did it. So, yep, but he had... Plenty of 80s movies, and don't, I mean, uh, he did do several movies before the 80s as well. Yeah, oh yeah, yeah. So, but uh, that's not where we're going with it, so I won't talk much about that, but I will bring up one movie from the 70s called Breaker Breaker. Mm -hmm. If you've not seen the movie Breaker Breaker, it is, it's a pretty entertaining movie for Chuck Norris. He's a truck driver in it, but um, his brother gets in trouble in this crooked town, and he comes in to help out, and all kinds of good stuff go from there. So if you get a chance on that one, check that one out. Uh, The first movie. In 1980, Tim, uh, I don't know if you made a list of the movies or not. Um, The first movie was The Octagon. Yes, it was. 1980, uh, American martial arts film starring Chuck Norris, Karen Carson, and Lee Van Cleef. It also had Tadashi Yamashita Mm -hmm. playing his brother in it. And what was the guy's name? It's going to come to me in just a second. I know he's from BJ and the Bear. Greg Evigan. Greg Evigan. My two dads. And yeah, BG my two dads. Bear. Exactly. I do believe that that was him, I believe. So did you ever see the Octagon? I don't think so. All right. Well, this would be a good one for your podcast, too. Oh, yeah, yeah. Thing, um, yeah. And, um, uh, since you're doing the there's 80s, a, this is. There's a few on this list that I am uh, I feel kind of bad about on the show, and I haven't done any Chuck Norris movies, so I'll have to definitely remedy that pretty soon. But there's several on here that uh, I definitely would like to see again if I didn't, you know, I believe I saw a lot of these when I was younger, but I just don't remember them as much. I definitely remember like, we'll, we'll get to, I'll, I'll talk more about the ones that I remember, but this is not one that I remember. I'll give you a quick go over on it here. Mm-hmm. He plays the role of a guy named Scott James. Now, Scott James had a brother uh, when he was younger. I don't know if, if uh, Scott James was adopted by somebody. I think he might have been adopted and his brother was Asian. And it was Tadashi Yamashita, that's uh, who he, uh, his character, I think he's other plays his brother. And Scott James goes one direction, and his brother goes another. Mm-hmm. And it's all based it's all based on the training they had taken when they were younger, 
and him outdoing his brother in the eyes of their master, which was their father. Um, the movie kind of uh, starts going toward the line of there being terrorists that have been hired in to do some jobs and things like that. And uh, this one company is the ones who are kind of interviewing people to go in and learn from the people that are teaching. And what they're teaching is basically ninjutsu and stuff of that nature. Um, Tadashi Yamashita is the one who runs the entire organization, and that's Scott James's brother. And they end up at one point, you know, meeting each other at the end of the movie for one final confrontation, of course. But during the time frame of what's going on, uh, you know, Scott James is trying to figure things out. Lee Van Cleef plays a friend of his that is over some kind of a organization that eliminates terrorists. And the guy's name is Carnes. Um, so Carnes tells him if he's seeing ninja, he's seeing ghosts from the past because those things don't exist anymore. So, you know, don't worry yourself over something that's not there. Well, he knows something is up still. He can tell. So he's still investigating and he goes to this place where he can try out for this place. Now, there's a special guest in this movie, I guess we could say, and he plays two roles in this movie. Um, martial artist Scott Norton. Scott Norton? Scott Norton, not Scott Norton. I'm sorry. <laughs> Scott Norton's a wrestler. Oh, my God. Um, Getting them all mixed up. Is it Ken Norton? Does that sound right to you? Sure. <laughs> I'll tell you in just a second. I'll tell you in just a second. I'll tell you in just a second. I'm trying to look through like the cast and I don't see anything close coming up. Well, see this person here on um let's see here, Sakura. They're not talking about Sakura's ninja. Sakura's ninja was also played by the same guy. Richard Norton is his there name. There we go. Okay. Uh Richard Norton also played <laughs> the reason why I come to mind is because he he played in the, the China O'Brien movies we were just talking about a while ago. Oh, gotcha, gotcha. Uh Richard Norton has a part where he is um basically carrying a clipboard and taking people's names and having them introduce themselves and uh, show them what they can do. He refuses to fight for him, so he turns around to walk out. Norton you know, kind of puts his hand on his shoulder and, and worst troubles gets his butt kicked. Uh, at the end of the movie, he also plays the master ninja guy that um, Sakura, which is Tadashi Yamashita, had um, trained. Gotcha. So he's uh, the person inside the suit that fights Chuck Norris. At the oh, end okay. Of the uh, long story short, uh, he finds out his brother... Uh, Sakura is doing all the work. He's behind everything, and he sets off to have one last confrontation with him. It's a great movie. I liked it a lot. Um, the uh, movie itself, it's uh, got conflicting numbers in here. It's anywhere from two and a half million to four million to make. Mm -hmm. That was the estimated budget, and it made somewhere between nineteen and twenty-five million. Yep. So, and it definitely made some good money. Yep, did pretty well. Yeah. Now, that if they follow this up. In 1981, with Eye for an Eye. Mm -hmm. uh, this is a movie with, it's directed by Steve Carver. It's got Chuck Norris, Christopher Lee, Richard Roundtree. Um, I don't know if you know the name Mako or not. Mako's been in, oh, been yeah, in yeah. quite a few movies. So mm -hmm. He was in it as well. Uh, basically, uh, Chuck Norris plays undercover narcotics cop. And... Um, I guess he has a uh, partner named, uh, it's played by Terry Kaiser, I believe. They're headed up to meet with their informant, and his partner ends up getting killed. Uh -huh. So um, I think on top of it, his uh, partner's girlfriend 
I think something might have happened to her as well. It's been a while. This is one of those movies where I'm not a hundred percent exact <laughs> on because it's 1981. Yeah. Oh yeah. And I did not go back and watch this one quite often. It was not one of my favorite movies of his, but it was good. Mm-hmm. Uh, just to give you an idea of the plot, uh, of course, his partner had been shot, hit by a car, and burned. He took a trifecta there. Um, Norris's character Kane gets in trouble with the boss, which is Richard Roundtree, for sending one of the killers flying out a third-story window to his death mm-hmm. out in the view of the public. So rather than face discipline, he is told to keep his distance by his superiors. He quits the force and sets out to exact vengeance on the people that killed his partner. Sounds like every great action movie of the 80s right there. Doesn't it, though? I mean, it's like... <laughs> It's like one of those tropes that they talk about, you exactly. know what I mean? It's, exactly. That is just the same movie ten times over with different actors. Mm-hmm. Uh, but they all don't have that pretty roundhouse kick, though, do there you they? Go. Right, exactly. So, I mean, you know, if they, if they don't have that, that's where, you know, they lose out. The uh, Another person in here in the movie that didn't get mentioned earlier, and I believe this might be the assassin, that killed uh, his partner's girlfriend is uh, Professor Tora Tanaka. Oh, yeah. Uh, Professor Tora Tanaka got a little notoriety there in the movies for a little bit. He's in a James Bond movie, too, mm-hmm. I believe. Yeah. But he was a wrestler for a long time in the uh, WWF, at the, that's what it was called at the time, yep. Yep. along with a couple of other people that came pretty big. So, so he was also, I think it was into Three Ninjas, the first movie. Yeah. Tortonaka was in that movie as well. He's been around a little bit. He's been in some stuff. He's always the same bad guy, though. The exact same oh, yeah, bad guy. Oh, yeah, yeah. That like never I was, changes. Yeah, I was watching the trailer, and like, as soon as he popped up, I was like, that. he's almost in the same suit he is from the uh, James Bond. Uh, another person in that movie that jumped out at me is Terry Kaiser, better known as Bernie from yeah. Weekend at Bernie's. So. Yep, absolutely. <laughs> that, was that, that was his partner that got killed. Okay. And here's a funny thing here. Uh, Mel Novak, uh, an American actor known for his villainous roles in Black Belt Jones and Game of Death, plays the character Tony Montoya. <laughs> I thought I've heard the name Tony Montoya somewhere else. Yeah, it sounds very familiar. Uh, doesn't he have a little friend? Or is that a different name for that person? Oh, man. Oh, no. Is it? Oh, my gosh. I'm going to look it up now. But I, I, mean, I was thinking the same thing. I was like, it can't be the exact same thing Surely not. Is it Tony Montana or Tony Montoya? You know what? It may have been Tony Montana in that movie. This is Tony Montoya here. No, it says Tony Montoya Scarface. I'd see. Oh, I knew it. I knew it. Well, no, they see they have. It's Tony Montana. Montana. Okay. So maybe people think Tony Montoya. Maybe it's the accent. <laughs> oh, who knows? I thought for a second, surely they didn't use the same name in two different movies. Something that big. It's close enough. Yeah. Crazy. Maybe, they, maybe they wanted to sound like it, and so they made it close to the same. Like they, very well, they very well could have. Who knows? Now, Eye for an Eye, that movie had a $4 million budget, made $9,496,681 in the USA, and I think it was $12 million worldwide is what it comes down to. Okay, yeah. So $12 million, still not bad. He made three times the money it cost to make it. He's still doing pretty good. As far as these things, um, next movie he did in 1982. So far, he's done one movie a year. He's not doing too bad. Right, right. Uh, in 82, though, he had two movies that year. Mm-hmm. And the first one is Silent Rage. Right. Silent Rage, he's a sheriff of a town. And there is this killer that's like a mentally ill man 
who's on the rampage killing people, but he's been granted this. Uh, it's they did some medical experimentation on him or something, and it's like he's near indestructible. Okay. I mean, he has done everything he can to this guy and could not keep him down. And I think ultimately what stopped him, you know, was that he tossed him down a well and he couldn't get back out, I guess. Mm -hmm. I, I I don't that it's, it's been a while for that. This was kind of one of those where it has some martial arts in it, yeah. but it's kind of got some parts that make you jump a little bit. It stands out. You jump oh, yeah, like yeah. a little scary, scary part to it. Yeah, Not a bad one, movie. Yeah, this one's definitely more the uh, thriller, more than just straight action, like trying to be like a horror thriller movie. Exactly, and uh, along with this movie, you got Ron Silver yeah. in the movie oh, yeah. as well. Let's see, Ron Silver, Stephen Keats, Tony Kalem, William Finley, Stephen First, Brian Libby. Who played the bad guy? Who played the little crazy killer dude? John Kirby, a mentally ill man. Played by Brian Libby. That's Brian Libby, okay. Yeah. I've seen him in other things, too. Yeah, it's before. like he looked familiar. Yeah, he's been in, he's one of the actors you know when you see him mm -hmm. as being the crazy or the bad guy in this one. Mm -hmm. and, uh, so he's definitely been around a little bit. But the movie itself, um, like I said, a quick quick explanation. Small Texas town. John Kirby, mentally ill man, kills two members of a family with whom he was staying. Sheriff Dan Stevens and his deputy Charlie respond and eventually arrest John, but he breaks out of the handcuffs and overpowers the other officers, grabs a shotgun, forcing the officers to shoot him. Mm -hmm. Thinking that he's dead or near death, he's transported to an institute where his psychiatrist, Dr. Thomas Hallman, which I believe is Ron Silver in the movie, Okay. Uh, works along with Dr. Philip Spires. Yeah, Dr. Hallman is silver, for sure. Um, anyway, the, the guy is not dead. He ends up you know, getting back up, and he is going there trying to kill more people, I guess. So the, the, the sheriff has to come back out and basically hunt him down and stop him. There is a kind of an iconic scene in the movie, this one here. Charlie, the officer he is with him, is, mm -hmm. I don't want to say special, but, I mean, he is um, very childish at heart, I guess. Gotcha, I don't know. gotcha. And um, a biker gang comes into town and is just harassing the local bar. And they go there. He, the, the, the guy that plays Charlie is kind of being tough with them, you know, like he's, he's the law. He's tough. Well, they end up embarrassing him. And uh, Norris sends him on out to the car. He says, Go out to the car and call for backup. He says, Okay. He goes out there. And all he can do is tell the guy back at the, at the office is that this biker girl, she had the biggest boobs. <laughs> I mean, she was just like, I never seen nothing like it in my life. And she came up and she, she gave me a hug and everything. And he's not telling him to come out and help. Right. Um, a fight ensues. He, of course, you had Chuck Norris taking out the entire biker gang. Mm -hmm. And the very last guy gets sent through a window. Then the kid starts yelling for help at that point. <laughs> True Chuck Norris style. One man against 50. And he, right. he wins. Of course. Gets them all. Movie itself, this is a... Uh, doesn't really give you an idea what it costs to make it. It says it made ten and a half million in the U.S. So I don't know how well it did compared to what it cost them to make it. I know he didn't make a lot of money off of it as far as pay goes. Yeah, I had um, seen that somewhere else, but he he get paid somewhere around like I think it's under a hundred thousand for a movie or something. So okay, well I saw the estimated budget that I see is forty uh, four million or four and a half okay. million. So it made right. it doubled. That's good. Well, Dublin's always good. He at least, like I said, he hasn't lost money yet. Right, right. And I've seen quite a few movies that I thought were good movies that I was surprised lost money mm -hmm. over mm -hmm. the years. And, you know, over the past podcast talking about some things, everything. It's really crazy. Uh, his second movie in 82 
he put out was Force Vengeance. Oh yeah. Once again, early movie in life. Don't remember a lot about it. My my first real memory of him because I've watched it a thousand times is Lone Wolf McQuaid, which is coming yeah. up next. Yeah. <laughs> but uh, Force Vengeance, um, nineteen eighty two, starred Chuck Norris, Mary Louise Miller, and Camilla Griggs. Directed by James Fargo, written by Franklin Thompson and James Fargo, and it was filmed in Hong Kong um, and, well, Portuguese as well, or, or Portugal as well, it says. Uh, but a basic plot, when the owner and proprietor of the Lucky Dragon Casino in Hong Kong refuses to let mobsters take over his business, he and his family are hit. Dragon's chief of security, Josh Randall, which is Chuck Norris, goes looking for the head of the syndicate to exact revenge for his murder of his employer, friend, and mentor. Once again, a lot of every, movies out there. Every, every 80s movie, every 80s action movie, yeah. Pretty similar, uh, different people, different place. Uh, but that's, not even, that's not even every 80s action movie. That's about every action movie that's been made in the last 40 years. Yes, yes, exactly. And Richard Norton, who I mentioned earlier, has a bit part in this one. It's somebody named Herb. So okay. He's, uh, I guess he must have became friends with Norris or something. He got a little bit parts for some work. The the film was originally known, however, as the Jade Jungle, not oh, Force okay. Vengeance. It was Norris's biggest budget yet, costing five million. It says for a major studio in GM, mm-hmm. but the title was changed during production to Force Vengeance. Has a more of an action movie sounding title. I, I would say it does. I mean, for me, mm-hmm. was it Force Vengeance or Eye for an Eye? I forget which. One of them said that he had no acting chops at all and that he was never going to be huge. And uh, the thing was that kept him going and making him big was his good guy persona, always taking vengeance on the bad guys. And that that's what people liked about him, basically. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I could see that. So the movie, like I said, it was not, I, I do remember the movie in a sense. I, I'm, I'm just remembered in my head right now, the, the last fight scene in the movie in the, in, in the casino there that happened mm-hmm. and, it, it wasn't exactly, if you're looking for a well-choreographed fight scenes and stuff, you didn't see a lot of it in there, I don't think. No. But it, but it was a good movie, though. Now, the one that I could talk about to you all night long, probably. <laughs> this is what spun off the idea of Walker, Texas Ranger. Yep, yep. This is Lone Wolf McQuaid. This is J.J. McQuaid. I mean, what the, you've been talking about some good names in the movies, you know? <laughs> you got John Rambo. Yeah. You got... uh. Oh, John McClane. It's not really like a good name, but it's a well-known name, right? You got right. you got Schwarzenegger in Predator. His name was Dutch. I don't know, Dutch something. But his <laughs> name, you know, you know what I'm saying? It's, uh, yeah. Oh, but in Commando, he was uh, a John something as well in Commando. Um, a lot of Johns. Matrix, John Matrix. Yeah, John, yeah Matrix. Yeah, I mean, right. yeah, Matrix. You got Matrix. You got Rambo. Mm-hmm. Now you got... J.J. McQuaid. Great alliteration. And the 1983 American Western is how it's listed. An American Western film directed by Steve Carver and starring Chuck Norris, David Carradine, Barbara Carrera, L.Q. Jones, R.G. Armstrong, Leon Isaac Kennedy, and Robert Beltran. Robert Beltran, for those that don't know, was in Night of the Comet as well. Yep, yep. Uh, You and I were just talking about this earlier, so I brought that up. (laughs) He's in that movie, so... The the movie itself, Lone Wolf McQuaid. Now you've seen this one, right? You know this yeah, one. This is, I'm gonna let you know. take the you take this one. I've done the last couple since you weren't <laughs> sure about them. You go ahead and sound off on this one. Tell us about some Lone Wolf McQuaid. 
Well, this I don't know if this is one that I saw first, but I know that I saw this one. Uh, so let me just give you like a synopsis or something, or just what I remember. Sure, just remember what, what just go with what you remember about it. Um, I remember I remember the western aspect of it for sure, and I remember David Carradine because uh, I think my dad used to watch Kung Fu, so I think my, this may have been why we watched it together was because he was a David Carradine fan. Um, mm-hmm. So. But yeah, after helping the local police with some horse thieves, a Texas Ranger aims at a drug lord with arms trade as well. They're interested in the same woman, and they're both into martial arts. Once again, perfect <laughs> plot for an '80s action movie. It is. It is. And David Carradine, he's got the basically he had taken Barbara Carrera, the woman they're both interested in. He had killed her husband and taken over his part of the business. And now he's the one who's strong arming everything. Leon Isaac Kennedy was an FBI guy. That uh, brought in a few other people. Uh, they were going to bust him, and the guy that went with him got a little overzealous and mm-hmm. walks right out, you know, like he's not going to be touched and yells FBI for them to all freeze and get, he gets cut down real quick. And all of them almost die in that, but that one aspect, all of them uh, almost die for there. Mm-hmm. Um, he, the, the movie itself, like I said, he's well known for a couple of things. Um, He's known for that truck in the movie that's got mm-hmm. the uh, super booster thing on it or whatever it was. Um, his partner was a fun guy. Now, I'm not talking about Robert Beltran playing the KO. I'm talking about mm-hmm. the guy that played Dakota. And I don't know which one of these he is. Let me see which one he is down here. If you'll tell me. Played Dakota? Is yeah, L.Q. Jones. Jones, yep. L.Q. Jones. Now, he's been in quite a few things in the past. Yeah, he definitely looks familiar. Yeah. Uh, he's been in, um, well, some older westerns, uh, Ride the High Country, Major Dundee, The Wild Bunch, Ballad of Cable Hogue, and the Pat Garrett and Billy the Kid movie in 1973. Mm-hmm. So he, he's been around some things. He's been in some TV shows, too. R.G. Armstrong is Captain Tyler. I want to say he's the uh, he's been in some things as well. He oh, was. Yeah, he is. Yeah, he I want to say, I, is he the guy? Yes. Uh, do you remember Friday the Thirteenth the series? Ooh, not not too well. I think he played the grandfather in that in that TV series that left all the cursed objects behind. I started okay. to say he he looks like the grandfather in the TV show Supernatural, but that's not him. <laughs> that was the guy that played. Oh. Well, I can tell you this: he was General Phillips in Predator. Yes, he was. <laughs> yes, he was. I know there's quite a few things he's been in that I've seen him in. I just can't call out. For sure. But I mean, I have seen him though. But yeah, he was on Friday the 13th, the series. Okay, I thought so. I thought so. Good uh, Aaron Aaron Norris, the younger brother of Chuck Norris, had a bit role in the movie, just playing as quoted as a punk. <laughs> uh, so I guess he's one who just tried to start a fight or something. Right. Kane Hodder is uncredited playing the role of just one of the fighters. Okay. Uh, Kane Hodder was one of the guys that played uh, Jason, Jason Voorhees. Yep. One on for that. Uh, Sharon Farrell, or Farrell, I'm not sure how she pronounced it, played the wife Molly McQuaid. Okay. And his daughter, Dana Kimmel, was Sally McQuaid. Great movie. Uh, I love the end of it. Um, 
he there's a there's a guy in there that plays a very bad guy who is a I'm not sure if the proper term is midget or <laughs> a uh, dwarf dwarf little person Shetland American I'm I'm not sure um, there's quite a few ways quite a few ways you can go right. um, uh, lets him know that a very um, that a a a um, associate of his one Raleigh Wilkes has made him very unhappy so he tells him you know I, I don't care about him I'll get in my own way and he says Wilkes has your daughter McQuaid. And the wife is telling him, you know, anything, whatever you got to do, anything. Uh, Daniel Frischman's his name is Emilio Falcone. That was his name on the show. Okay. Uh, Daniel, Frisch, Daniel Frischman's the actor. Uh, so he uh, finds out where he's at from Falcone and goes to get her and ends up meeting up with the FBI guy at the border. And before you know it, KO has tracked him down there as well. And they're looking they're like, how are we going to get him back across the border? <laughs> Like, ah, that's your job. You worry about that. And at the end of it, you get the iconic fight with him and David Carradine that everybody loved because David Carradine, like you said, uh, known for, um, you know, being in Kung Fu. Mm -hmm. Um, and he, I, I, I think his claim to fame really and truly is Tai Chi. It's not really Kung Fu, right? He was, he was in the movie, the, the TV show Kung Fu. Uh, one more thing to note, Dana Kimmel that played the daughter, she was also in Friday the 13th Part 3. Now, I don't know if Kane Hodder played Jason in Part 3. Or if he was uh, no, I don't think he came until 4. Okay. We just we That's... just did Part 3 the last Friday the 13th, and I don't, it wasn't him in that one. Okay. So she, was in, she was in Part 3. Yeah, she was in 3. Yeah. So he was in part four that had uh, Judy Aronson then and uh, Corey Feldman. And I right. forget the other person's name. All right. Interesting stuff there. I definitely, this is one of these movies where I can watch any day of the week. <laughs> I mean, I can watch it two or three times a week and I will never get tired of it. It's just an entertaining movie to me. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. I really like it a lot. Uh, it cost $5 million budget to make and made. Twelve point two million in the U.S., fifteen million worldwide. So he tripled the money back on that one as well. It looks like. Life moves pretty fast. If you don't stop and listen to an '80s flick flashback podcast once in a while, you could miss it. Do you love movies of a certain age? Do you miss the days of VHS tapes, VCRs, and the video rental stores? Does the thought of another 80s movie being remade seem inconceivable? My name is Tim Williams. I'm the creator and host of the 80s Flick Flashback Podcast. On each episode, I'm joined by guest co-host to discuss one of the many movies released in the 1980s. We share our first-time watch memories, our favorite scenes, and even learn some behind-the-scenes stories about the cast and crew along the way. New episodes are released every other Friday on your favorite podcasting platform. So make like a tree, get out of here, and go listen to an excellent episode of the 80s Flick Flashback Podcast. The ad is over. Go home. Go. Now, this movie also kind of helped propel him to the next level up as far as action goes. Because he goes there, and now he takes... Uh, the next step in missing in action in 1984. Oh yeah, definitely saw uh, this 
Yeah, I, a lot of people will remember these missing in action movies playing James. Was it James Braddock was the name, I believe? Braddock, yeah, was the last name for short. Yeah, definitely Braddock. I want to say. Yeah, Colonel you know, James Braddock. Yeah, Colonel James Braddock. Uh, tell me about this one right here, what you know about missing in action. Um, well, the funny thing is, I often get missing in action one and two mixed up, like in my mind. So I don't think I might have watched them around the same time. So they're kind of both kind of merged together in mind. But I want to say, because I watched a documentary about the Golan Globus brothers. Um, yeah. And I, these were shot out of sequence. Like, I think they actually did the second one first. And then I, something about how they were, they were filmed different, different than they were released. And so, but they wanted to release them very close together. Um, so I, I, so yeah, I don't remember which one I saw first, but, but, you know, this is of course that time, a lot of Vietnam movies were being made, uh, platoon, full metal jacket, uh, hamburger Hill, Hanoi Hilton. I mean, there was just a, a ton of those Vietnam, uh, type movies. So right. this one was, uh, a little bit more action packed. <laughs> And let's not forget, let, let's not forget Rambo First let's, Blood Part yeah. 2. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Because Part 2 takes him back to Vietnam. So. Right, right. Which came out after this one, I think. So they might have all been kind of dipping from the same uh, writer's pool. If, if you think about it, I mean, all these all these movies are talked about uh, before being done, and mm-hmm. we don't know who's offered what roles, how it's gone, but the whole idea of it's out there, it, it, it's out there before it gets filmed. So they know it's like um, uh, we had done something when we were talking about Stallone. Um, Stallone, oh, was it, what movie was he offered? Um, Beverly, uh, Beverly Hills Cop. Uh, yeah, they wanted to Cobra, yeah. Yeah, but he didn't, he didn't want it done that way. He rewrote things and they ended up making that into Cobra, like you said. So, I mean, for all we know, Stallone already knew about this this movie about Braddock and Missing in Action, and mm-hmm. and I'm not saying it spun off Rambo because Rambo came out with First Blood before this one did. Right, right. So there, there were some similarities for sure between the yeah. movies. Yeah, but uh, but yeah, I did find little things. So this is it was filmed. So Missing in Action and Missing in Action Two were both filmed at the same time from June until October of '84. So missing in action was supposed to be the sequel but when the producers realized the film was was the better of the two they simply renamed them and made the other film a prequel so interesting how hollywood works it is and i personally i like part two better yeah i think i do too that's what that's the one i I remember that one more than the first one yeah Missing in Action, the first one, was not bad. He also dedicated that movie to his brother, mm-hmm. um, who it was... who was, was killed a, in combat, I think. Right, killed in action in, in Vietnam. He was a part of the 101st Airborne Division, which is right down the road from me where I live, actually. It, it's in Clarksville, Tennessee, at Fort Campbell. Mm-hmm. That's where your 101st Airborne is based at. Uh, his brother's name was Whelan. Uh, he was a private. Yeah. Um, it says the film here, however, was critically... Uh, criticized heavily as being a preemptive cash-in on the Rambo franchise. 
and I just saw this. So the similarity of the plots between this one and Rambo First Blood Part Two are not entirely coincidental. When Stallone was trying to raise production funds for that film, he approached the independent production company Canon Films with the basic premise to say if they were interested in backing it. Cannon was eager to work with a big international box office draw like Stallone, but found the scope of the film he was wanting to make to be way outside their usual production budget of 2 to $4 million and were not able to stump the $30 million plus Stallone was looking for his film. So they liked the concept of the film and had it retooled. There's that Hollywood word, retooled into a movie for Chuck Norris, a far less expensive action star with a, uh, as they called, B-movie director Joseph Zito who had experience in making horror films on tight budgets. So there you go. And right. And then the missing in action is what really propelled Norris at this point oh, to, hire, sure. to, to higher for paying sure. movies. Oh yes. Stallone had already gotten there. Mm-hmm. Uh, Schwarzenegger had already gotten there. Stallone, mm-hmm. I mean, Norris had been around, but his movies were just, he, he was doing and making weren't considered blockbuster type movies like Stallone and Schwarzenegger was. Oh yeah. But by the but by the time the eighties was over with, by the time the nineteen eighties was done, mm-hmm. when you when you mentioned action stars, one of three names came out first. It was either <laughs> Chuck Norris, Sylvester Stallone, or Arnold Schwarzenegger. Schwarzenegger. For sure. Oh yeah. Those were your three. And I think and this we got here but... if you if you listen to this plot and don't think about the name, I'm gonna tell you just I'm just going to give you uh, this, an officer, basically. Uh, an officer spent seven years in North Vietnamese POW camp, which he escaped 10 years ago. After the war, accompanies a government investigation team that travels to Ho Chi Minh City to investigate reports of U.S. soldiers still held prisoner. He obtains evidence and travels to Thailand, where he meets Jack Tucker, an old army friend turned black market kingpin. Together, they launch a mission deep in the jungle to free the U.S. POWs from General Tran. Now, I left out the name Braddock and all these <laughs> things because it's Braddock. Right. But if you think about it, I mean, let's go to Rambo, First Blood Part Two. Mm-hmm. Um, only it's a little different. Rambo is set free from prison. Only, um, only he's given a pardon, basically, to go do this job for the military because mm-hmm. he knows that part of the world better than most other people where he was held captive in a POW camp for a little bit. Um and got away and he goes over there and he finds evidence. He's supposed to take pictures, but he lost his equipment ends up rescuing one taking off with him. They get caught uh, and left behind because the general that's over it orders the people that come to rescue him to turn around and abort. So he ends up going back again after they all, he gets caught the second time and tears everybody up and then travels back. He does what he does. We all we, we know how it ends. It's not quite the same, but it's very close. Very similar. So the, yeah. the whole retooling thing, like you mentioned, is exactly mm-hmm. what they did. They they took the idea for Rambo First Blood Part Two. They changed it just a little bit, enough to where you can't say that I'm gonna sue you. Well, yeah, of course. And and let that, you know, and let that be it. Now, it was a good movie, and the budget was on this was one like you said, small budget. Golden Globus. They were never known to spend a lot of money. Never, never. But they put out good films back yeah. in that time frame. That time frame, for, they had good 80s movies. For the money that they spent, they put, you know, like, they stretched that dollar. You know what I'm saying? Like, it, you didn't, yes. you, it was, everything was there. Yes. One and a half to three million dollar budget is what this movie had. 
Mm-hmm. It came out November 16th, 1984, running time 101 minutes. So we're looking at an hour and 41 40. minutes. That's about average for the time. Box office money made $22,812,411. Yep, yep. That really bumped him up right there. Yeah. So we've hit two in a row right there. Miss in action and miss in action two. And two was an 85. Mm-hmm. In 85, he did three movies. Oh yeah, we well, had signed man. that deal with uh, he had signed that deal with Canon, so mm-hmm. he was exclusively working with them. So they were cranking them out. Oh, they were in '85. He put out Code of Silence, mm-hmm. and I believe Code of Silence was the movie that they said was the first movie that the critics were not so hard on him for, right? And said right. that it was actually a good movie. Mm-hmm. Um, let's see here. Directed by Andrew Davis, starring Chuck Norris, Henry Silva, Dennis Farina. And Molly Hagen, I guess it's Farina. Is that how he pronounces his name? That's the I guy so. from, um, yeah. was it, not Hill Street, was it Hill Street Blues? No, 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 Dennis Farina. Uh, that's the guy, he was in, um, oh my God. He's been in a ton of stuff. I can't he even... has. I, I'm, the movie I'm thinking of, he was Bruce Willis's uncle um, in this movie where Bruce Willis was like a river cop or something like that. He had Oh, got, was that Striking Distance? Striking Distance, yes. He yeah. played his, What else has he played in? He's been in everything. He's been, he was in Get Shorty, Snatch, Midnight Run. Yeah, uh, Manhunter. Manhunter. Uh, he's, been, he's, <laughs> he's, been, he's, been, he's been around in quite a few things. He's I had him. Stuff, yeah. I, I had him confused with Dennis Franz. That's there what it go. was. Oh, yeah, that was. That's NYPD Blue. Yeah. NYPD Blue. There you go. Friends. Yeah. Yeah. Um, anyway, uh, basically, it says, let's get a quick plot of this movie here. Just so people know. Uh, in a Chicago uptown neighborhood where a sting is taking place, Sergeant Eddie Cusack, which is Chuck Norris, and his crack team of Chicago police detectives take their positions, including Lieutenant Kovas. Stationed on a rooftop with Detective Brennan. That's uh, Joseph Casale and Ron Dean. And music, Gene Barge, as lookouts along the alcoholic detective, along with alcoholic detective Craigie. Ralph, Ralph Foodie is his name. What a name. <laughs> Ralph Foodie. You'd yep. think with a name like Foodie, he'd had all kinds of roles. Mm-hmm. Um, and rookie Nick Capless. Anyway, uh, an undercover informant's about to meet a buyer. At an L train stop, Cusack and his partner, which is Dennis Farino, use a garbage truck to patrol beneath the train tracks. Um, the meet and greet exchange set up for by cocaine supplier Victor Camacho, is the younger brother of Louis Camacho, Henry, played by Henry Silva, leader of vicious drug gang. Everything goes horribly wrong when a rival gang led by mafia drug lord Tony Luna infiltrates the thing as a crew of painters and mercilessly guns down the attendees. So. Sounds bad, don't it? <laughs> yeah, but you know, you talked about this being, you know, uh, received a little better by the critics. Andrew Davis, who directed this, also directed The Fugitive with Harrison Ford and uh, Under Siege with uh, Stagall. I mean, Stagall. So he's uh, he knows what he's doing behind the camera. So probably helped a lot. It did. I mean, he's made some good movies. It sounds like no problem Under, with Under that. Siege. Under Siege might be my favorite Seagal movie, by the way, even though I, it's not an 80s movie. Oh, well, that, you know, when, when, we, when we did our Seagal Van Damme show we did uh, yeah. a good while back, uh, that was pretty much my favorite Seagal movie as well. Mm-hmm. 
The producers paid $800,000 for the rights to this script to make the movie. It says, and now the movie to make it was $7 million. Box office was $20,345,561. So he's staying consistent and tripling the money, basically. Mm-hmm. They said the, the the critics did like him in this. It's the first time he'd had a lot of good things said about him. He was well-received on it. Debuted number one with an opening weekend of $5.5 million. According to the film comment, the film said it earned $8.9 million by the end of the year. Uh, went on to gross a total of twenty point three four five, making second most successful Chuck Norris vehicle behind Missing in Action. Yep. So he's uh, he's building on that momentum for Missing in Action. Yeah, uh, I'm not big on Rotten Tomatoes, but I, I don't. I guess because I don't fully understand Rotten Tomatoes. <laughs> um, but it says uh, retrospectively collected twenty reviews and judged seventy percent of them to be positive. Okay. So I guess it means he got a seventy percent. On Rotten Tomato, which which I guess is good. Robert oh, yeah. uh, Roger Ebert um, called it a heavy duty thriller, slick, energetic movie with good performances and a lot of genuine human interest. Stylish urban action picture with sensational stunts. But they really talked him up big in this. So, well, like I said, you you had a you had a script that they paid money to use, so that obviously it tells you it was a good script. It wasn't something they kind of threw together. And you've got a pretty good director. So that's going to help you a lot. Yeah. Yeah. Now, the next movie, the last movie in 85 he did was Invasion of the USA. Which, was, which as a kid, was my favorite. I've watched yeah. this one so many times. Well, if that's the case, you, sir, are taking this one as well. Because <laughs> uh, you sound like this is, this is your Lone Wolf McQuaid right here, you know? Yeah, this that was, that was That yeah. was my movie. This is yours. So. Well, you know, so especially this time. I live outside of Atlanta now, but at the time I was living, I've lived other places, but I was living in Atlanta when this movie came out. And I remember they were filming when they were filming this in like some of the neighborhoods around Atlanta by the airport. So I knew about this movie before it even came out. And then of course the iconic poster of, you know, the sleeveless jean shirt and the two Uzis in each, you know, an Uzi in each hand. I mean, it's I mean, Chuck Norris is just front and center on the poster. So it's it as a 10, 11, 12 year old kid. This was every, you know, oh, and it, you know, it's it's pulling from Red Dawn, which is, has, you know, foreign invaders coming on U.S. soil and U.S. companies rising up to uh, fight against them. So it was it was hitting all those key things that we wanted to see. So uh, once again, directed by Joseph Zito. One man army comes to the rescue of the United States when a spy attempts an invasion. I rewatched this a couple of months ago, and it it's pretty cheesy now going back to watch it, but it's a lot of fun. But you've got uh, Richard Lynch, Melissa Prophet, Alexander Zale, Alex Colon, Eddie Jones, Billy Drago. Is it Billy Drago? Yeah, I remember from this one. So, uh, but yeah, it was a lot of fun. And then let's see, give you some. It was released on September 27th, 1985, and it had an estimated budget of $10 million. Didn't do as well as the last couple. It came in at $17.5 million in its uh, worldwide gross. Billy Drago is going to come up again in a minute when we talk about Delta Force. He, <laughs> yep. was, a, he yep. was a bad guy in one of them. I don't know if it was the first one or the second one. Yeah. Uh, Richard though- Lynch... 
Richard Lynch, Richard Lynch, who's in here, is just man. He's been in all kinds of movies and television shows, playing the bad guy. Oh yeah, for sure. Yeah, he's definitely. Yeah, he's been the bad guy in some of these. Even though it didn't do as well in the theaters, this was MGM's second highest selling home video title behind Gone with the Wind. Wow. So this raked up some money on home video, which is where I saw it. I didn't see this in the theater for sure. I remember, I, this is one of those movies I remember renting and watching with a group of friends. And just, I think we watched like four times over the weekend. It says here in uh, in production, some of the notes for production and everything, uh, Nora says he wanted the role of the female journalist to be played by Whoopi Goldberg, who'd been an extra in A Force of One. Oh, wow. Uh, Goldberg was enthusiastic. She had recently been cast in The Color Purple. However, the director overruled Norris. Needless <laughs> to say, I've never used that director again, wrote Norris. Wow. Um, according to the documentary on Canon Films, Electric Boogaloo, mm-hmm. the, the, the wild untold... Yeah, the wild untold story of Canon Films, the scene where terrorists destroy homes in a suburb with rocket launchers featured explosions in actual houses. Mm-hmm. That's, that's, that's pretty wild there. Uh, do you remember the name Jeff Speakman? I do. Jeff Speakman filmed, uh, see, I am 30 minutes outside of Nashville. Okay. Uh, Jeff Speakman did a movie at the old main prison in Nashville. Okay. Uh, I want to say it was called The Expert. I may be wrong. That sounds um, pretty right. <laughs> but they uh, filmed all around Nashville. They filmed in Centennial Park. They filmed around the prison. Mm-hmm. You know, it was it, it was kind of a big thing here at the time because Nashville wasn't getting a lot of movies filmed here. The old prison, when it shut down, got a lot of interest from people. Though they did part of the part of the Green Mile there. Okay. Um, okay. Brett, Mike, Brett Michaels of Poison did a documentary there for Death Row. Um, then, of course, it's Jeff Speakman movie. And then another one, I believe, which I, I can't think of what it was. But anyway, it's not that important. Right. Um, now, this movie here, that they've done uh, Roger Ebert, the <laughs> one that was big on the last one, right? Gave this film a half a star out of four and called it a brain damaged idiotic thriller, not even bad enough to be laughable. Uh, that's why I don't like the critics as much. But right, you know what? Any movie a critic has said bad things about in the past, I've went and watched because I knew it would be my kind of movie. <laughs> and I, I I told you incorrectly earlier. I got it backwards. Um, this movie is the first movie of the character Matt Hunter. That was Chuck Norris's character, Matt Hunter. Right. The 1986 film Avenging Force was originally intended as its sequel. Ah, there we go. Chuck Norris turned it down. It was instead made as a standalone film starring Michael Dudikoff sharing only the protagonist's name. Gotcha. So have you, have you seen Avenging Force? Uh, I don't, maybe I have. I, it's I can't got it's uh, it's got uh, Dudikoff in it. It's got mm-hmm. Steve James, the guy that played in American Ninja with him. Right. I know I saw um, American Ninja. That's why I, I don't. I didn't see too many of Dudikoff's movies, but I, I saw a few. Well, the two of them together got good chemistry, I guess. So they made that movie together as well. So if you if you did like American Ninja, you'd like Avenging Force. Uh, it's about a group of people called the Pentangle that are hunting people. They're taking people out, letting them go. And then they go and hunt them down. Kind of sounds like a uh, 
movie that Van Damme made, don't it? Wonder where they got the idea from. <laughs> right, exactly. It was retooled. That's the word. Today. Retooled, retooled for Van Damme. That's exactly right. Next movie on the list, Delta Force, uh, yeah, 86 American action one. film. From Chuck Norris, Lee Marvin. Special Operations Forces personnel based on real-life U.S. Army Delta Force units. Mm-hmm. Uh, co-produced by, is it Menahem or Menahem Golan? Sure. Uh, the film features, yeah, sure. Features Martin Balsam, Joy Bishop, Robert Vaughn, Steve James, Robert Forster, Shelley Winters, George Kennedy. And yeah. uncredited Liam Neeson in an early role. Yeah. Um, we had two sequels to it uh, Delta Force 2, The Columbian Connection. I think that's the one that's got uh, Billy Drago in it. And does, then Delta yeah. Force 3, The Killing Game, which is not does not have Chuck Norris in on that one. The movie itself, 129 minutes long, a $9 million budget, $17.76 million at the box office. So he did a little less than doubled on that one. Mm hmm. Yeah, this was another big one. I remember watching this one a yeah. lot. Yeah, I, I, it was always on television, and it was one of his bigger ones for a while as far as, far as a fan favorite goes. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm not going to go too in-depth on it because we're running low, low on time and everything, yeah. but <laughs> it was it was a good movie. Uh, next movie down the line is Firewalker, which was uh, one of my favorites of his because it was oh, goofy and funny. Yeah, I just actually, this this is one I just watched a few weeks ago. Yeah, a little little Indiana Jones-ish too, wasn't yeah, you, very you much say? So. Yeah. Lou Gossett Jr., Chuck Norris, Will Samson, Melody Anderson. Uh it's also got um uh Sonny Landham in it. It does, yeah. Played a played a very good part in, I thought. Um eleven point eight three four million at the box office. Doesn't say how much they took to make it, but that's all it made. And I think it did that because they took it as Norris trying to be different and making some just some some silly movie. Yeah, it was definitely much more lighthearted than anything else he had done up to that definitely. point. Right, it wasn't something that was in his wheelhouse. And they mm-hmm. he 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 played a uh, one or two treasure hunters. I think I think he was Max Donigan. Yep. And uh, Lou Gossett Jr. was Leo Porter. That's right. Uh, seasoned treasure hunters whose adventures rarely result in notable success. After the latest stint went wrong, they were recruited by a seemingly psychic woman, Patricia Goodwin, owner of a treasure map. She convinces them the map leads to a stockpile of gold belonging to the Firewalker. Uh, so, and we see, we know how it goes and everything. I, I think they end up finding treasure too, don't they? They do. Oh, yeah. Well, yeah, I thought they It was did. a little bit uh, King Solomon's Mines, a little bit Indiana Jones. Exactly. So combination, was- of, combination of it all. John Rice Davies was in it as well, speaking of Indiana which was, Jones. Which was funny, yeah. Yeah, he was in that. And then uh, I believe he was made more popular down the road in the 2000s, playing the role of Gimli the Dwarf. That's correct, from Lord of the Rings. Yep, so good. Now, that, like I said, that was one of my favorites. He does some martial arts in it, but it's not really a martial arts movie. No, not really. It's but more it, just it was, a straight-up adventure comedy. Right. So we go from there to 86 again, in which he does, uh, I'm sorry, in 86 he did the Chuck Norris Karate Commando cartoon. We, we touched right. on that earlier, though. Right. Uh, in 88, so he skipped 87. Mm-hmm. In 88, he did Braddock Missing in Action 3. Right, right. Uh, following the success on the other two, he wanted, I guess they want to see if they could squeeze one more out of it. One more. The film, the film was directed by his brother, Aaron Norris. Mm-hmm. Uh, quick plot: Colonel Braddock uh, has believed his Asian wife 
uh, Lin Tan King to be dead since war ended in 75. But here's from a missionary that Lin's not only alive, but she and Braddock have a 12 year old son named Van Tan King. At first, he doesn't believe it, but uh, I guess someone gives him proof, and I guess he's going over there to to free her from her captivity and everything, and his son. So, yeah, um, this, this one didn't hold up as well, or didn't. I re- I remember seeing this one and remember thinking that it was not as good as the well, first two. It technically wasn't, though, because it cost nine million to make, and it made seven point one million at the box yeah, this office. One, this one didn't. didn't do so. I, I think we're safe to say that Braddock is not as popular as Rambo. No. No. And the last Chuck Norris movie that we have in the 80s, ladies and gentlemen, Hero and the Terror. Now, Hero and the Terror <laughs> kind of reminded me. Um, I don't want to say it reminded me too much of Silent Rage, but I mean, it seems very like it was similar. kind of very similar. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, Chuck Norris, uh, this was produced once again, Menahem Golan, mm-hmm. written by Michael Blodgett and distributed by Canon Films. He stars as Danny O'Brien, a cop trying to stop a serial killer named Simon Moon, known as The Terror. Mm-hmm. It's based on Michael Blodgett's 82 novel of the same name. Right. Uh, Hero on the Terror, I guess, was the book title as well. It was, or, yes. Or just The Terror, one or the other. Um, this movie... Chuck Norris, uh, Brent Thayer, Steve James, who has now been in this movie as well as Delta Force with him, and right. Jack Jack O'Halloran. Uh, Jack O'Halloran, Superman. Oh, oh, oh! He was Superman in Superman Two. Uh, you remember Superman Two, the goofy, the goofy Krypton guy, mm-hmm. um, who tries to fly and falls down a crack. It's <laughs> called Non. None. Okay, I couldn't remember his name in it, but um, mm-hmm. yeah, I remember him strictly from that. The yeah, former boxer, him, apparently, yeah. fifty-seven yeah. professional boxing matches. Didn't know that about him. Um, January, let's see, uh, ninety-six minutes long. The movie made five million dollars. I'm not even. Didn't even say what it take to make it. I don't want to know. Yeah, I'm sure I don't it probably, have that either. It probably did not. There's probably a reason why we don't have that information. Yeah, and this is one that I'm like I want to say this one went straight to video. Maybe it, if it had a no, I don't think it, release. I, I think it, it had much, the, yeah. I think I think it had a theatrical release. It just wasn't heavily uh, publicized, I guess, or and, promoted. Yeah, it may not have been, but I do believe it went. I do believe it was released into theater. But a lot of movies back in that time frame, like you mentioned earlier, made a lot of their money off of the VHS release. Mm-hmm. Uh, the Last Dragon's a good example of that. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Cable TV. Huh. And, the Last um, Starfighter. The Last Starfighter yeah. made a little at the, at, the, at the theater, a ton on VHS. Yeah. Look, I'll tell you a story. I, we haven't covered Last Starfighter on my podcast yet, but I remember when I was in, I think, sixth grade elementary school, it had already been out a couple of years at that point. But for like the end of the year, quote unquote, party, the school got a copy of the actual reel to reel of Last Starfighter and all the sixth graders got in the cafeteria and watched it one afternoon on a, you know, in the school cafeteria. And mm-hmm. I remember being so excited because I'd already seen it and I was so excited to see it again on like what we considered a big screen in our, in our cafeteria at that time. But uh, that was cool. It's it's one of my favorite '80s movies altogether. For sure. Um, 
uh, to go ahead and do, do a quick plug for myself, I guess, here. We have earlier in our podcast history in this season, we have uh-huh. an episode where we interviewed Catherine Mary Stewart that played the girlfriend Maggie. If yep. you haven't watched the episode, slide back into that one and watch that. She talks about the last Starfighter and everything else that she did. And she also gives us a little tidbit on a sequel to the last Starfighter that's currently being worked on today. Um, she talks about that and it's a, the, uh, yeah, it's the, the, the original uh, director and everything. So, you know, it's going to go to, it's not going to get changed or altered too much. Um, but, uh, she wouldn't talk a lot about any kind of plot because oh, she yeah. didn't give nothing away. But she said, just so you know, it is being talked about. It's, yeah. it's been rumored. It's been I can rumored tell for you, a while, yeah. Yeah, for a while. She said, I can tell you, it's not a rumor. It's it, it's legit. He, he's been shopping it around. Mm-hmm. Uh, and hopefully he finds a taker on it. Yeah, So there for it. I, I know I will be at you at that point. So uh, to wrap up Chuck Norris today, everybody, I will tell you that um, I have an understanding that he's went on to do a few decent things since the 80s. Mm-hmm. Um, He's well known for that thumb being up in the air. Thumbs up. <laughs> right. Especially if you especially if you've seen Dodgeball. Dodgeball. Yeah. Thank you, Chuck Norris. <laughs> um great little movie called Sidekick with uh Jonathan Brandis, I believe his name was. I think that's right. Um yeah. and Joe Pesci. not Joe Pesci, Joe um <laughs> Oh my god. How could I say Joe Pesci? Honestly. Um no, um he was on Saturday Night Live, real muscular guy, comedian. Oh, Joe Piscopo. Joe Piscopo. There you go. Joe Piscopo. Um, so um and he's he said quite a few things. I, I I believe the name Walker Texas Ranger comes to mind. So he's been fairly successful. He's had a great life. He's made a lot of money. He was a great action star in the eighties. Uh he's done well for himself since then. And it's been a fun episode for me talking about him. He was one of my favorite actors in the eighties for action. As I was as I was growing up, wasn't my absolute favorite, but he was one of my favorites, and mm-hmm. a lot of great movies I can just remember watching and enjoying with my friends growing up and everything. Um, Tim, I'm gonna go ahead and get this show wrapped up, but I want you to go ahead and tell us one more time where we can find you for your podcast, where we can find you on social media, so the people out there listening today can check out your podcast as well and start following you at places. Absolutely. So the 80s flick flashback, you can find us on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Podcasts, pretty much any uh, podcasting platform. I'm sure you can find the show on. We're up there as well. Uh, you can also follow us on Facebook. We have a fan page. There's also a, it's not just 80s, but like a movie group page uh, called Movie Views. Um, if you want to check us out there. And then uh, you can just search 80s Fake Flashback on Instagram, Twitter, TikTok, and Facebook, and you can find us there. And uh, I'm always trying to, especially on Instagram, TikTok, Facebook, uh, I'm way more involved there than I am with Twitter. But I'll still get stuff on Twitter every once in a while. But, uh, yeah, definitely reach out. Let us know that you heard me on this podcast, and uh, we'll have some fun. And thank you. And like Tim, you can find us on uh, several places at Retro Life for You. We're pretty big on Instagram, is where I do most of my stuff. I say we're pretty big. I mean, that's where I do most of my, you know, <laughs> social media. I'm not huge right. on Instagram, but I, that's where I do most of my stuff at. I've got a Facebook page as well. That's like a like page or a fan page. I do have Twitter that I don't use that much. I use it more for, for like reaching out to people and everything. Although I will slide some things in there when we podcasts come out. 
And I have a TikTok account as well. I do have some things on there where I try to put little clips on there from 80s movies and everything just for the fun um, and see what I can get away with without it getting blocked or copyrighted. <laughs> right. It's few and far between sometimes. It's, it's annoying. You yeah, know, it, gotten, it gets annoying after a while. Yeah. Um, I've gotten a few videos that are been silenced or taken down. Yes, I know. It's just, it's not, it's unbelievable, but uh, retro life for you at gmail.com is another way you can reach out to me. If you have any ideas of what you'd like to see on the show, anybody you'd like to see me try to get on for an interview, uh, send that information uh, to me at that email address. Once again, retro life for you at gmail.com, or you can send it to me on Instagram as I monitor that throughout the day. Usually, um, we are on everywhere you get your podcast for the most part as well. Uh, iTunes, Spotify, uh, Stitcher, Google, iHeartRadio. Uh, and then uh, we have things on YouTube. This particular episode will not be on YouTube. I'm kind of steering away back towards just the audio. But you will find lots of stuff on YouTube for us as well if you want to check out some video aspect of things. So, Tim, it's been great having you on, man. I hope to have you on again with us in the future for another episode. Uh, I know you are super busy with yours and (laughs) everything else, but I'm pretty confident we can probably work out another day here soon and find a good topic, maybe something different that we're not used to doing that we can tackle and go outside the box with a little bit. Sure. I'm going to see how, see, I see how well we do with that. So for uh, Tim here and myself, we need to thank you guys for listening to us and sitting this entire one hour and 18 minutes, but Hey, (laughs) it's Chuck. Norris, okay? The man once swam around the Virgin Islands, and they're now just referred to as the Islands people. So thank you very much for listening to us, and we hope you all have a wonderful day. We'll see you next time. 